Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is our second reading from Hebrews chapter 4. We'll hear again these words. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. This is the word of our God, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. We tend to hold on tightly to those things that are important to us, those things that we consider precious. For example, if you find yourself in kind of a sketchy neighborhood, you tend to watch and hold on to your wallet just a little bit more closely. In fact, you might even move it into your front pocket. If you're walking through a a crowded downtown in a city, lots and lots of people around, you hang on to your daughter's hand pretty tightly because you don't want to lose her in that crowd. If you're traveling in a foreign nation, if you're like me, you like to know exactly where your passport is at all times. You keep patting your pocket to make sure it's still there because if you lose it, well, that causes all kinds of trouble. In each case, you hold on tightly to those things because they are important to you. In the portion of God's word before us today, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews encourages us to hold on to something, to get a white-knuckled grip on something that is very important, something that is truly precious. He tells us, hold firmly to the faith we profess. In other words, hold firmly to Jesus, for he is at the center of the faith that we profess. And I see in our text three reasons to hold firmly to Jesus. First, because Jesus knows exactly what we sinners are going through. Secondly, because Jesus resisted the devil's temptations perfectly for us and for our salvation. And finally, because Jesus gains for us access to our Heavenly Father. The letter to the Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish Christians who were under a lot of pressure. They were under pressure to leave the Christian faith and return to their own old life under Judaism. To return to the sacrificial system and the priestly system, the Sabbath days and all the dietary restrictions and all those different things. You see, Christians were beginning to face some persecutions for the faith and the worst of these hadn't reached these Christians yet, but they were coming. And so again, they were under pressure to go back to Judaism. Finally, they were under pressure to let go of their faith in Jesus. And so the writer of this remarkable letter stresses to them the utter superiority of Christ as Savior. In our text, he talks about Jesus as our great high priest. And the implication is that Jesus is a superior high priest. You see, in the Old Testament, the high priest's main job was to make sacrifices for his own sins and for the sins of the people. And this is something that he had to do constantly, day after day. The blood simply flowed in the temple. But, my friends, that animal blood didn't atone for even a single sin. It was all just an ongoing object lesson. It was a picture that pointed forward to the blood that would atone for sin. The blood of the Messiah, the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. The writer sums all this up in chapter 7 of his letter. He says, unlike the other high priests, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. 
He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Now you might think that such a high and holy priest would kind of be aloof. He wouldn't be able to relate to the people that he serves. But my friends, that's just not correct. Listen again to our text. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. There's a difference between sympathy and empathy. And let me illustrate that to you this morning by talking about the profession of nursing. We're all familiar with nurses. We know uh, how hard they work and everything that they do to care for those who are sick, who are injured. If you've ever been under the care of a nurse, then you know how much knowledge they have, how full of compassion they are for people. And you probably also know that they work some really under some really difficult conditions. I mean, it's long hours and heavy lifting and short staffing and difficult patients and blood-borne pathogens and all kinds of other gross things that they have to see. Not only that, but there's the daily emotional toll of dealing with people who are in pain, who are sick, who are suffering, and some of whom die. We hear about these difficult working conditions and, and we sympathize with those nurses, right? But you know something? Nobody really understands except another nurse. Only those who have put on those scrubs and have actually done that kind of work truly understand and can empathize. They know what their fellow nurses are going through. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Isn't it comforting to know that our Lord Jesus knows exactly what we are going through? He knows what it is to be tempted. Though he is true God and therefore could not have fallen to temptation, he is at the same time also true man, and so those temptations were all too real for him. There's a mystery in that for us. And yet, my friends, at the end of the day, God's word is clear. Jesus knows what we sinners go through every single day. Location, location, location. That's the old rule when it comes to real estate and business. Here's what the devil says. Temptation, temptation, temptation. That is his constant mantra. And that's what he does. He constantly launches his temptations at us. He won't give us a break. He doesn't let us come up for air. And my friends, he has a lot more in his arsenal than just the so-called seven deadly sins. Because, of course, all sin is deadly. Arrogance and pride, impatience and discontentment, anger and hatred, lust and laziness and lack of love. The devil launches all these things at us as flaming arrows. And sadly, my friends, those flaming arrows sometimes hit their mark and cause us to burst into flames. None of us here today can claim to be just these rocks of resistance, pictures of self-control. And when we think that we are, that's when we are most vulnerable to Satan's attack. Scripture warns us, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And fall we do, over and over and over again. Jesus didn't, ever, not even once. 
And it's not that he wasn't tempted. Oh no, the, the roaring lion came after Jesus with a ferocity reserved only for him. Luke tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. For 40 days, Satan just pounded on our Lord with one temptation after another. He got out his book of lies and his bag of tricks and he used every single one of them on Jesus. And he failed miserably. He could not find an opening in Jesus' holy armor. Again, our Lord was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. In baseball, a perfect game is one in which the pitcher retires every batter that he faces without allowing a single one to come to a base. No, no hits, no walks, nothing like that. Just three up and three down every inning for a total of 27 outs. In the 140 years or so of baseball history uh, and about 210,000 major league games played, there have been exactly 23 official perfect games. And there's no pitcher that has pitched more than one of those. To pitch a perfect game in major league baseball is truly an amazing accomplishment. Jesus' accomplishment, of course, is infinitely more impressive. For 33 years, during his state of humiliation, in his weakness, in our human flesh and blood, Jesus walked this earth. And just like us, he faced temptations every single day. Temptations that were legion. Satan never let up. But Jesus also never gave in. Not even once. Well, good for him. What a wonderful accomplishment. No, my friends, good for us. Because you see, Jesus doesn't keep the credit for his perfect sin-free life to himself. He shares it with us. And that's not all he does. Not only does he share with us the credit for his sinlessness, our Lord Jesus took our sinfulness, all of our sins, the sins of the world, he carried them to the cross in his own body, and he shed his priceless, precious blood to pay for every last one. Paul sums up beautifully what our Lord Jesus did for us. He said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Through faith in Jesus, our Savior, our great high priest, you and I and every believer, we are all holy and perfect in the eyes of God. He looks at us and he sees not our fallings and our failures, he sees only that perfect game, a flawless performance, a life of sinless obedience. God looks at us and he sees his son Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. And as if all of that wasn't enough, if it wasn't enough that Jesus by his life, death, and resurrection won our salvation, he does something else for us. In Old Testament times, the high priest was really the connection between the people and God. He was the mediator. Not only did he pray for them, but he also represented the people before God. It was only the high priest who could go into the most holy place of the temple in the very presence of God himself, and he could only do that once a year on the great day of atonement, to atone for the sins of the people. You see, the, the people relied on the high priest for a connection to God. Our high priest, Jesus Christ, does the very same thing for us. 
He is the bridge, the connection, the conduit between us sinners and a holy God. You know something? We already expressed this truth this morning. Uh, something that we do almost every single service that we have. When we close the prayer of the day, there's a little formula that we close it with that illustrates this. We pray, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is through Jesus, my friends, and only through Jesus that we have access to our Heavenly Father. By his life, death, and resurrection, not only has Jesus taken away our sins and secured our eternal future, he's also gained an audience with the King for us. My friends, as insignificant and undeserving as you and I are, we enjoy a perpetual link to the one true God. We can get in touch with Him. We can pray to Him about any topic, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Previously, there was a barrier that made such communication impossible. That barrier was our sin. But Jesus tore down that wall and stomped it into dust. And so now there is nothing standing between us creatures and our Creator. We can talk to our God. What a tremendous privilege that is. With all of that in mind, listen to the encouragement of our text. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because of Jesus, my friends, we approach a throne of grace and not a judge's bench. Because of Jesus, we can go there confidently, not on the basis of our own merit or worthiness, but only on the basis of his. And what will we find there? Grace, mercy, help in every time of need, all because of Jesus. So, are you feeling down and depressed? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Is adulting stressing you out to the max? Bring it before your Lord's throne of grace. Are you feeling lost or lonely? Are you sick or hurting or even dying? Bring it before your Savior God. He hears, he answers, he helps again, all because of Jesus. This past Monday, the winner of the world's largest single-ticket lottery prize finally stepped forward to claim that jackpot, a jackpot of $1.57 billion with a B. The person decided to remain anonymous and receive that money in one lump sum, which after taxes came to something like $877 million. If you had possessed that winning lottery ticket, where would you have kept it? In the back pocket of your favorite jeans? Perhaps just there in the cup holder in your car? Maybe you just would have tossed it up on the counter with your keys and your loose change. No, of course not. You would have put it someplace very secure, probably locked it up in a fireproof safe. And then when it came time to actually take that ticket in and claim your prize, you probably would have had a death grip on it. My friends, a winning lottery ticket and a huge pile of money. These things are nothing, nothing compared to our Savior. There is nothing more precious than Jesus. He is our priceless treasure. Dear friends, hold firmly to him. Amen.